0: Our sermon series of the resurrection experiences that that those first Christians had is going to be our focus as we look at the early church in Acts 2 and how the resurrection impacted them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to be together as brothers and sisters of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you for setting aside this time in your day and making it a priority, especially as we continue in this series, in this focus on the impact of the resurrection, and I I think as we we take a look especially at those first believers, we'll find significance and, and value for ourselves today. Uh, earlier in this week, it may not have been on your radar, uh, I can't say it was necessarily on mine, but I was at least aware of the fact that the NFL draft was going on, and there was a lot of interest in some of the picks going on, especially for us in the Indianapolis area, you know, what are some of the choices going to make? For those of you who are who are following the NFL draft, did we do okay, Colts, did we do okay? Okay, shrugging your shoulders, that doesn't encourage me much. Well, anyway, I at least know this much, that... Of, uh, with with all of the teams and the coaches as they were looking over the players and everything, one of the questions that certainly was was on the minds of all those doing the picking and the chewing was, what's it going to take to not only get our team to the next level, but what's it going to take to get our team to the highest level of competition? What's it going to take? And of course, obviously, when it comes to picking a good team and and establishing a good team, coaches are always looking for what? Help me out. Not just players, not just average players, but they want the high caliber uh, players that are going to help them to do this. And the same goes for those of you, if you're involved in some kind of fantasy sports league uh, or team, I mean, when it comes to picking and choosing your players, you're looking for the best. Even back when we were kids, and for those of you who are kids, you know that when it comes to picking up a, a game of football or basketball or soccer or dodgeball, I mean, once you choose the captains, what's the next most important part? Picking the players, and of course, who are the ones that go first? The good ones, the biggest, the fastest, who can throw the hardest, who can run the fastest. And and when it was my case as a kid, it was, uh, and you all can have Danny. We don't want Danny. You can have Danny, even though he comes to us. Yeah. All right. Well, I share that with you because as we take a look here at those early first followers, not just the first disciples of Jesus, but the first followers that made up the New Testament church as we find ourselves standing in the joy of Jesus' resurrection, I want us to back up a little bit and I want us to go back to before Jesus' resurrection and what those first disciples look like. I mean, what are we looking at here? First of all, just from a human standpoint, what was Jesus thinking when he chose these 12 guys to be his followers? I mean, for the most part, they were uneducated. Most of them were just fierce fishermen, a couple of zealots, and a tax collector. I mean, not exactly the kind of team for turning the world upside down with the message of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. What is more, during Jesus' ministry years, what we might refer to for these disciples as their training season... Those first disciples often showed a lack of grasping even the basics of what Jesus' purpose, what He was all about, what His life and His ministry was all about. I mean, for example, there were at least five times when Jesus expressed disappointment in their lack of faith. Repeatedly, Jesus had to remind them, do not be afraid. On at least eight teaching occasions, the disciples did not understand what Jesus was even talking about. There there was a moment where they rebuked little children, rebuked those that were bringing little children to Jesus. The last thing we want is for children to be coming to Jesus, right? But yet that's what the disciples were doing. James and John sought the highest positions in Jesus' kingdom of glory. One to sit at Jesus' left, one to sit at Jesus' right. And as Jesus began to explain to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and must be killed, and then on the third day be raised to life, Peter, the lead disciple, takes Jesus aside and rebukes him for even talking like that. Judas, one of the chosen twelve, betrayed Jesus to his enemies. Peter, the rock, denied even knowing Jesus, not only once but three times, even calling down curses upon himself as he did it. And in Jesus' greatest moment of need all the disciples deserted Him and fled. This, my friends, is the ragtag team of individuals whom Jesus had initially chosen to follow Him, to be His disciples, to then turn the world upside down with the message of God's plan of salvation. But, as I said, these were Jesus' disciples prior to to the resurrection? What about Jesus' disciples after the resurrection? Well, right out front, we can already ask are these even the same group of guys? I mean, just prior to our text leading into Acts chapter 2, we read how all of them, when they are filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak not only in other tongues. But openly declaring the wonders of God. Understand, the very things for which Jesus had just been crucified weeks earlier, they were now openly and boldly talking about. And then, far from denying, Peter. He stands up with the eleven. He raises his voice and he addresses the crowd. And in no uncertain terms... Peter begins to take portions of the Old Testament which speak specifically about the coming of the Messiah, and he begins to connect those Bible passages, those portions of Scripture to the man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, twice during his sermon, Peter refers to Jesus as the Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah. And then for the very first time ever... Peter refers to the carpenter's son from Nazareth as Jesus Christ. In other words, for the first time, both name and title were brought together in the one person of Jesus. And understand, for Jewish listeners, this was bold. This was significant. In essence, simply stated, Peter is saying, this Jesus, whom you crucified... Is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that was promised to us long ago, the ones that, the one that we had be, been waiting for, the one who would save us from our sins? Talk about transformation in these disciples. However, their transformation, this, this post-resurrection experience for the disciples, only serves as a springboard to highlight the further transformation that also took place in the lives of some of those individuals living in Jerusalem. You see, before the resurrection, Jesus of Nazareth was not some unknown entity to the people living in Jerusalem and in the surrounding regions. This was not the first time that these people were hearing about Jesus. The news of Jesus, especially His teachings, His miracles, His deeds, had been on everyone's lips for several years now. So much so that everywhere that Jesus went, people crowded, crushingly crowded to see Him, to hear Him, to experience His miracles, sometimes we are told by the thousands And you would think that with this popularity that Jesus had, that by the time of three years, He would have amassed a huge following of believers. Yet according to the Apostle Paul, even after three years of ministry, Jesus had at most only 500 followers. We can fit more people than that in this room itself. Think about it. In spite of Jesus' popularity, and even though His teachings and His miracles attested to His being the Christ, the Messiah, yet most not only in Jerusalem but in Judea, Samaria, the surrounding reasons, most chose to ignore or to deny the obvious. Oh, it is said that some were disciples early on, but soon they turned back and no longer followed Him. And in the end, as it turned out, the greatest majority of individuals living in Jerusalem and in the surrounding regions were not followers of Jesus, were not His disciples during His ministry here on earth. In fact, some of them were even among the crowd that shouted, crucify Him. Then occurred the miracle of all miracles, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. This same Jesus whom the people had rejected during His earthly ministry, this same Jesus for whom some had shouted, crucify, this same Jesus who was dead and buried was now alive. And this became the greatest proof of all that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of us all. And for many in Jerusalem, after the resurrection, this message, just like with the disciples, this message had immediate and life-transforming impact. In the verses leading up to our text, we read, when the people heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call." And then we go on to read that those who accepted His message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. But it wasn't just that day only. The post-resurrection transformation of the lives of those first believers. Was further evidenced in three significant ways in the manner in which they continued to go about living their everyday life. First of all, in these first believers, they exhibited what we might call a healthy inward posture. We read in our text, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which is a reference to the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Understand, this was a diverse group of individuals that could not get enough of being with one another. The life and the message of Jesus, His death and resurrection, radically transformed how they viewed their possessions, their time, their identity. They were a new people with a new purpose, a new devotion, and a new community. And instead of focusing on me, they grew into a caring community of we. Devotion to one another was not left as an option was a given flowing out of the fact that God had established relationship, God had established community with them, and they now wanted to do the same among one another. They had a healthy inward posture. Secondly, these first believers had a healthy upward posture. Here again, how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Understand, this new community experienced God in deep and significant ways. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and how Jesus had fulfilled uh, those promises and those prophecies in His life, His death, and resurrection. They experienced awe and wonder at God's working not only in them and through them. And they could not get enough of spending time with God. They gathered together frequently and consistently to worship, to study, to learn, to pray, to grow, to celebrate what it meant to be the family, the children of Almighty God. And again, it wasn't because they had to, because they wanted to. They had a healthy upward posture. And thirdly, these first believers also exhibited a healthy outward posture praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This new community not only moved toward God and toward one another, they also moved toward those in the world, those who were yet outside of their new community. I find it interesting that this text comes on the heels of Peter's sermon on Pentecost, but yet precedes the story of the church's expansion from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And what I find especially insightful is how they went about doing it, one of the things that was significant that enabled them to experience this growth. Luke records for us that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. In other words, they endeared themselves to their local community, the manner in which they spent time with God, the manner in which they took care of each other. Those outside of this new community looking in were impressed and were impacted, especially by the way that they reached out to them in loving and caring ways. And it was because they endeared themselves to the local community that the Lord added to their number daily those who who were being saved, those who were on the outside enjoyed and appreciated what was going on on the inside, and they too wanted to be part of that new community of believers. What a beautiful picture we're provided here of the early New Testament church, how they had a healthy outward posture. And perhaps what is most significant of all is that this was accomplished with simply the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. God used this growing ragtag team of disciples to turn the world upside down. Even though they were not the biggest, even though they were not the brightest, even though they were not the best, yet as the resurrection of Jesus Christ had turned their lives upside down in short order, They began to turn the world upside down to where they grew from a a community of 3,000 to 5,000 to 10,000 to beyond. And I want you to note it was because of their inward, upward, and outward posture that the impact of Jesus' resurrection not only impacted the world around them, but it continued on and reached down through the centuries and through the generations down to even you and me. Can I assume that one of the reasons why you're here today is because the news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has impacted your life as well? Amen? Amen. And now, as a result, you and I are also part of that ragtag team of individuals that God is using today to turn our world upside down with the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. My dear friends, I want to challenge you in a very uh, personal way today by just simply asking, to what extent, to what extent is my life like the lives of those first believers? To what extent is their life upward, inward, and outward posture evident in me? To what extent can that be said of cornerstone Lutheran Church? This is where you and I would each do well to take some time and and to examine our own lives in comparison and contrast with those first believers, perhaps to ask some hard questions of ourselves, like, is it possible that I'm taking for granted? Not only the death, but also the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why aren't those postures evident in my faith walk? And my prayer is that we would then in turn, resting in the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only find forgiveness, just like they did, but then strength and motivation to go forth and to live our lives as resurrection disciples of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. It is my hope and my prayer for each of us that Jesus' death and resurrection would continue to impact your life and my life, just as it did theirs. And as a result, may we then, in turn, turn our world upside down and be the kind of resurrection community that makes an impact on the world around us and for generations to come. God, grant that to us for Jesus' sake. Amen? Amen. Amen.